Okay. Pastor Bible's ready? Good. Let me pray first and then I'll read. Our Father, we ask you for humility, that we might listen to what you say in the Bible and not resist your authority over us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm actually going to start reading at chapter 9, verse 33. Exodus chapter 9, verse 33. So Moses went out the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Pharaoh, uh, said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, so that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. <coughs> but he said to them, The Lord be with you, if ever, I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. Now, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord. 
that that is what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land, all that dead, all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the whole face, the, the face of the whole land. So the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land, and all the fruit of the trees of the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once. And plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from the Pharaoh, from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones may also go with you. Only let your flocks and herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, so that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we don't know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as he said, I will not see your face again. 
that's the reading we're going to be looking at tonight. I think uh, we've got some young children, and Natalie is going to take them to uh, teach them that story in a little group by themselves, and uh, the rest of us will be in here, and we'll learn that story together. Now, uh, those who have uh, uh, Farsi Bibles, I'm hoping you have Farsi notes to help you to understand. Uh, because my Farsi, well, frankly, uh, it is even worse than the English. Uh, so um, I'll spare you that. Okay. We prayed, we read the Bible. Now let's ask the question why does anyone become a Christian? Is it that they've read the Bible and they like God's special offers and so therefore they want to be with Him? And they make their way and choose God? Or is it because God decides who should become a Christian? And then they come after that. And this is especially interesting when you look at it from the other side and ask the question, what happens when someone does not become a Christian? Is it them saying no to God, or is it God saying no to them? And perhaps the best part of the Bible to steer us towards an answer would be this part, where there are chapters about a man called Pharaoh who is rejecting God, and we need to work out why did he do it? And what did we learn from that today? And in the Bible reading that we looked at, I think there are two answers that we need to understand fully to work out how people come to God and don't come to God. The first is this, that Pharaoh hardens his own heart against God. And then later we will see that God hardens Pharaoh's heart against God. But first, Pharaoh hardens his own heart against God. Now you can see that in chapter 9, verse 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hair and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, and he hardened his heart in chapter 9, verse 34. And so that is why Pharaoh's heart was hardened in verse 35. And if you peel away, like an onion, <coughs> the layers of the heart that is hard, what you get to right in the centre is this simple uh, description. It is pride. Pride is really what Pharaoh uh, has uh, going on in him. And you see that when Moses speaks in verse 3 and he tells Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before God? In other words, how long are you going to carry on being proud? And that comes to the surface again when uh, you look at verse 11 and you see Pharaoh's reaction. And he says, yeah, I will listen to God, fair enough, but I'm, I'm going to set some terms and conditions. The men can go. But you've got to keep the little ones here. 
And when he realizes that's a bit of a mistake, he comes up with another deal. He puts new terms and conditions on the table in verse 24, and he says, all right, uh, all of you can go. This time you can take the children as well, but you've got to keep the animals back. And as far as Pharaoh is concerned, when you went to the temple, uh, he did take animals with him, and therefore when Moses goes to meet with God, what do you animals for? Pharaoh works out what is reasonable and fair, never mind what God says. God said in verse 3, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no, you've got to keep the little ones here. God says, no, they're all going. Pharaoh says, no, we'll keep them. We'll keep the animals. We'll keep the livestock. You see, Pharaoh is the proud man. He is the one who ultimately says, no, he'll dictate the terms and conditions to God. And so he is a big man with pride in the center of a hard heart. And when you have pride pushing you forward, the heart doesn't just simply stay hard at one level, it gets harder and harder and harder when pride uh, is, is how we think of ourselves and we think of ourselves bigger ultimately than God. But the opposite of pride is humility and humility can uh, bring relief. You see that, sorry, uh, the, the hardened heart uh, is uh, chapter 3 and uh, in verse 11 and in but the, hum the humble heart uh, and you begin to see that in verses 16 to 19 it's there at the top of the screen uh, and you see how Pharaoh hastily calls Moses and this time he's humbled I've sinned against the Lord and against you and humility really works it makes a difference look at it in verses 18 and 19 because what happens is that Moses then went away from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind and offered the locusts and everything is okay in the country again so there you are humble Pharaoh brings about a change he says I have sinned what was I thinking about when I said no to God that first time and that humility brings about a desire. But it's not deep humility. Because humility is only, uh, Pharaoh is only obeying because he has to obey. His heart hasn't actually changed. He doesn't want to let the people go. You'll see that in a minute. But he just wants to get God off his back. And so therefore he changes. But actually, it's the same old Pharaoh and he gets back to being himself. Uh, even at the end of the chapter, in verse 28, he chucks out Moses and he says, right, that's it. Uh, I don't want to see you again. He threatens Moses. Next time you see me, you will die. Which is an idiot thing to do, really, because the minute he loses sight of Moses, he loses the one friend he has who can save him from the judgment of God. So by rejecting Moses, he will never, ever get relief again. But he chooses. 
he hardens and he is uh, proud in his own heart. But then you see something else. You see that actually it's God who is hardening Pharaoh's heart. And you see that in uh, verse 1. <coughs> the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Actually, we are told that God has done that quite a lot. So right from the very start, even before Moses goes and sees Pharaoh, all the way back, if you just flick a couple of pages back to chapter 4 and uh, verse uh, 21, uh, you will see that uh, uh, even before Moses meets Pharaoh, God says, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles are put in your path, but I will harden his heart. God keeps doing that. If you look at chapter 7, verse 3, you see that it's happened again. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And you see that again and again and again. In chapter 9, verse 12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. In chapter 10, verse 20, we've read it tonight already, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. And in chapter uh, uh, 10, verse 27, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, he would not let them go. In chapter 11, verse 10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So last week we saw how God sent ten plagues to show Pharaoh who he was up against. But those miracles don't create belief. They harden unbelief. And Pharaoh is now even more anti-God than he was at the start. That's how it works. People never stay the same. Moving one way, moving the other. That's the choice. But you can see at that point why people think that God isn't bad. After all, if God is one hardening Pharaoh's heart, how can he blame Pharaoh for making the decisions he's making? Isn't he just a pawn in God's game? Chess and Iran, they played. You know what a pawn is? A pawn looks like this. Okay? And there is just a pawn in God's hands. Actually, yes, he is. And I think that's why Moses tells uh, in verse 3 uh, that, uh, sorry, in verse, uh, in verse 2 that they need to be telling this to their son, their, their children, their grandchildren about how God dealt with Pharaoh, how he brought him down to size because he wants people to see that this great leader ultimately is a pawn in God's hands. And future generations of believers, when they come against the proud Pharaohs, need to keep remembering what God did with Pharaoh. 
that is what the size of the leader really is compared to the greatness of God. So never think that leaders are that big. And they are always pawns in God's hands. But that is not the only thing. If you're going to understand how great God is, you've got to understand something else. And that is that Pharaoh hardened his own heart as well. We need to understand the Bible tells us both those things. And not thinking the Bible only tells us one of those things. And the Bible tells us that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh, in verse 16, takes full responsibilities for his actions. He says, I have sinned against the Lord your God. He doesn't blame God. And let me tell you, if Pharaoh doesn't blame God for the hard heart, we mustn't blame God for the hard heart either. But this is the greatness of God. The greatness of God is that people make free decisions, absolutely freely, to reject Him. But what they find is what they choose to do freely is what God has chosen them to do. So the greatness of God is that people have absolute freedom to do whatever they want. But then, the greatness of God is that they've only done what he has always planned and chosen. And that's why, to understand the greatness of God, you've got to really understand the freedom of human choice. Because people make decisions because they are proud and because they are evil and those things are entirely wrong. But those things that people freely choose to do only play into God's hands and achieve exactly what he intended from the start. Now, maybe it helps to, uh, to, to see how that is true uh, with uh, a man called uh, Joseph uh, in uh, the last book. Uh, this, is, this is, sorry, this second book, the previous book, chapter uh, Genesis chapter 1 in verses 37 to 50 <coughs> chapters 37 to 50 you get this man called Joseph now Joseph was a man that his brothers hated they were jealous of him and you know the story because again that was another show in the West End and what happened is those, those brothers they hated him they got jealous of him they sold him as a slave and he went off to Egypt and in Egypt, it was a terrible thing. They put him into a prison. He had a very hard life. All that happened to Joseph was evil. No questions. But when he was in Egypt, he was found by the king of Egypt at a time when there was no food in Egypt. And he was put in charge of food. And then he fed the whole of Egypt and he fed his family who had been so bad to him. And when the brothers go back and ask Joseph whether he's still angry with them, it is fantastic to see what he said. If you look at Genesis chapter, chapter 50, verse 20, 
just flick a couple of pages there and I'll read it to you as well. Uh, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. I'll, I'll start reading from uh, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many lives should be kept alive as they are today. They fully, freely did evil, and God used what they did to save life. And that is something you especially see when you see Jesus dying on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, people did what they wanted to do. They were powerful men, they were rulers. But when you look at how the Bible reports what happened, I wonder if you could just look with me at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and uh, verses 27 and 28. So, um, uh, I'll uh, take you there. I'll give you the page when I get there, which if you've got an English Bible might help you. It's page 912 in the Pastor Bible, I don't know. Pick uh, it up on your phone. Uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 27. And they tell you what happened, but truly in this city where Jesus died, it's that time they're talking about, that were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So when you talk about Herod, when you talk about Pontius Pilate, you're talking about people who aren't forced to make any decisions they don't want to make, okay? They decided that they wanted Jesus dead. Okay, these are the powerful guys. Of their own free will, they choose to kill Jesus. But why? Look at verse 28. They chose to do whatever God's hand, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So yes, they did freely and God had predestined for the saving of many lives. They meant it for evil, and God meant it for good, and the saving of many lives. A friend of mine said it must be really frustrating to be the devil, because God always takes your biggest punch and turns it against yourself. Free will of man always plays into the will of God, which is why God is so great. You have got to have both those things to show off the greatness of God. But what does that mean for us today? Well, let me uh, have three people in mind as I normally do and uh, see uh, what kind of take home uh, we can get. If you're someone who's not yet a Christian, you honestly know that maybe you're not. 
Well, it is entirely true for me to say to you this evening, you have full capacity to reject God. Walk away from Him. Have nothing more to do with Him. It is possible. You have full free will to do that. But please don't be misled. Because your part is not as great as you think it is. And ultimately, you only have the power to self-destruct if we take that road, because that's what we find fairer doing. And it's really best not to end up like Pharaoh, making plans against God or choices to keep God away and ultimately to end up discovering that God is far greater than you ever imagined. Such a terrible lesson to learn. It's always learned the hard way. It might be possible for some people to say, well, how do I know if I'm one of the chosen? How do I know if God has chosen me? Or whether he has hardened my heart so I'm going to be like Pharaoh and I'll never become a Christian. How do I know if, if that might be possible for me or whether I might as well not try? But I want to suggest to you that if you look at what happened to the heart of Pharaoh's servants, you're going to discover a whole lot of hope. Because if you look in verse 1, that God hardens the heart of Pharaoh and the heart of his servants. So they both look like they've got hard hearts. But when you get to verse 7, you see how Pharaoh's servants are the ones who are saying, guys, we don't want to take God on anymore. We really want to stop going against God. We've done it far too much already. And we need definitely to go the other way. And we can see from how Pharaoh, even when he was not really sincere, he just wanted to get God off his back, even when in that insincerity that he was humble and asked God to change his mind and not to let him feel the full effects of God's judgment, how even when he was insincere, God, in verses 16-19, took his judgment off him. Now, if God would do that to an insincere man who says, please give me relief, will he not do that to anyone who genuinely wants to be spared God's anger? <coughs> so if you're someone who's new, isn't it the right thing to humble yourself and to turn to God for mercy? Because we can see our humble hearts discover and experience the mercy of God and the lifting of his anger and ultimate judgment. Please, can I almost plead with you tonight, if you're someone who's not a Christian, to ask God to do that work in your heart. Ask him, talk to him, make that your big request this evening. Or maybe if you've been to church lots, and it's so easy, isn't it, if you have been to church lots, to think, well, we are in the right crowd, we're not part of the Pharaoh rebel group. But we can have Pharaoh hearts, the way we uh, saw last week as well. Hearts that say, 
right fair of God. I'll give you this much, but I won't go as far as, uh, as that. And the difficulty is, I think, with a Pharaoh, uh, with, a, with, a, with a church person, is that we can think, like Pharaoh, that we're already giving God a lot, and we're doing so much for God, well, you know, surely we're going to be allowed that little bit for ourselves. And we can think the majority of what we're doing is okay pro-God, so therefore what happens in this tiny little corner of our life isn't fully under his control. Now, okay, you can think, everyone can go, but, but uh, take the men, but keep the little ones. Now, for the most part, therefore, I'm letting you go. Uh, it's a little bit that I'm keeping back. Or, or all of you can go, but, but keep the animals. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly on your side, God. I look, the vast majority, I'm, I'm saying yes to. But there's always a tiny bit where we're holding. And I want to suggest that uh, we need to be really careful if we're uh, part of uh, the church brigade. We need to be aware that we are so easily able to draw lines and we need to be watchful where we draw the lines because otherwise we will carry on being like Pharaoh but we'll hide it from ourselves. Thinking that for the most part we do what God wants. As a warning there, I think, for us. But what if you're a genuine believer? What can we learn uh, from tonight? Uh, and uh, we want to take a humble lesson home with us. Well, for a start, it's good to learn from verse 2. Sorry, that's, uh, that's a good church person. Here's um, uh, verse two. Uh, say yes to God on all counts. But what happens if we really do want to treat God as our king? Uh, what lesson does this have for us? But well, I think actually it's probably good for us to take that lesson back from verse 2 and tell in the hearing of uh, our children and our, our families, get it really clear in our, in our heads, that ultimately God is the one who uh, dictates the terms and conditions of what happens in his world. And uh, 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 he is the Lord, not any of the major power players that you see on the stage today. I think it's really helpful for us to understand that all of their plans uh, serve to fulfill and take forward his plans. <coughs> but what happens uh, uh, with the rest of the chapter? Well, there's more to learn, I think, than that. Because when you look at the way God is with Pharaoh, you discover this is a God who gives people opportunity for people to reject him. He knows that's what Pharaoh's heart will do. And so he therefore speaks to Pharaoh in a way that his pride will rebel and he achieves his purposes. But he does it by telling Pharaoh what his will is. Let my people go. Well, that's going to make a proud man say, no way. God almost phrased it to bring out that response. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, uh, repent and believe the gospel. And our proud hearts go, no way, what have I done wrong? What have I got to repent of? 
And so the way the gospel comes can sift out the proud heart and the humble heart. Can sift out the one who says, yes, I will listen to God. And I do need to ask you to have mercy on me because I haven't listened in the past. But I think there's one more lesson we need to learn because you know that we are an outfit that go out and we visit people who are said and we do that with our friendship week after week after week. What happens when we get the door shut and we are told to get lost happily? Uh, where amongst friends in Dagenham, I think, people say it's a rotten place, but I think I, I personally love Dagenham, and uh, I think there are wonderful people that you meet, and even those who are um, uh, <coughs> telling us to go away are usually pretty polite as they do that. Uh, but what happens if we are going to people and we get the answer no, maybe not as badly phrased as Pharaoh would say it, but nonetheless, we get the answer, no, it's politely put, but it's still no. What are we to go away thinking as we leave the house and leave the park? Let me tell you what would be really helpful for us, if we are in a humble frame of mind. Think this. Think that is exactly how I would be unless God had humbled my heart make a different response. Every note we get is a mirror to show us what we would be like had not God given us a different heart and a different mind. I'm going to end by reading uh, uh, just a, a final little bit of uh, the, the New Testament, Romans chapter 9, and uh, just a few verses there from verses 14 to 18. Uh, because this is how the New Testament comments on the Pharaoh story. And I think it's just helpful for us to look at it tonight. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 9, verses 14 to 18, and that's on page 945, if you've got a church black Bible. Romans chapter 9, verses 14 to 18. What should we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? <coughs> By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. But the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whoever, whoever, whoever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. <coughs> but remember, whenever you see a hardening, it's not just God's will. We also know from the story of Pharaoh that it is Pharaoh who hardens his own heart. Don't blame God, blame pride, and always marvel at God's mercy. 
that he humbled you and he didn't harden you so that you can always carry in front of you a God who has been merciful to treat you that way so that you would never come close to his judgment. But let's remember that as we humble ourselves and uh, as we uh, talk to him. Uh, the normal thing, I think, is that we have one minute where we, each of us, talk to God privately, personally. No one else will hear. But you speak to God quietly in yourself and talk to him about what you've learned tonight. And maybe if you're someone who's not a Christian, say, God, please, give me the humble heart I need that your judgment will be lifted from my life. For someone who's part of the church, God, please, there are certain areas I'm keeping from you. I don't want to do that anymore. Or if you're someone who is part of uh, uh, God's family, you might say, well, please help me remember that those who are big aren't that big. And those who reject you show me what I would have done if it wasn't for your grace. But a minute then to pray, and then I will pray. Then we'll take questions and answers. If I'm confused, that's your chance to get back to me. Let's pray first. Quietly, for a minute. Let's pray. Well, the minute's gone, so let me pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we know that every human heart starts proud, but you can humble the proud heart rather than harden it. So please show mercy to us and to our estate that we live on, that we might humble ourselves and live marveling at your mercy towards us because of the Lord Jesus Christ who has died for us prayed for us and brought us to safety and away from your judgment. Please help us to humbly follow him and bring glory to his name. Amen. Amen.